Welcome back to the podcast. We are finishing off our series on the subject of what does it mean to be human today. This is part four. We ended last week by looking at uh, really the, the way that the evolutionary view of mankind has been used in the past by some people to promote uh, racism and it has been responsible for what we, we looked at the subject of eugenics and social Darwinism and we saw how this has had some very unfortunate effects over um, mankind over the period of history. Today we are going to contrast this, we're going to finish up by looking at the biblical view of man. Uh, as I hope you, you've, you've gathered by now from listening to these podcasts, the two views are mutually exclusive. They cannot both be true. Man is clearly created distinct from the animals in the biblical record, and this is done on day six of creation. Let me read to you the narrative from Genesis chapter 1, verse 24 to 26. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is the biblical narrative of the creation of man on day six clearly a separate and unique creation from the animals. Therefore, trying to reconcile evolution and this view results in either compromising the biblical narrative or compromising the teaching of evolution. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 it says this, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the New Testament now, 15 verse 39, it says this, Not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, and another for birds, and another for fish. Um, just again, I highlighting the distinction between these things. It's very clear that this does not allow for mankind gradually evolving from the animal kingdom over a long period of time, the theory of common descent. Mankind is most definitely a separate and distinct creation from the animal kingdom. Now I understand there's a lot of debate around this issue. Again, we're not actually here to discuss this debate. Let's move forward now, just like we did with evolution. What does that do for humanity? Let's now look at this view here and see what this does for humanity. So the first question we really need to ask is this, what is it that separates us? Why are we unique and distinct from the animal kingdom? This is found in Genesis 1 verse 27. We just read it. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, this verse highlights for us the uniqueness of humanity, that thing that separates us, the element that separates and raises us above the animal kingdom. Okay, This is the foundation for human exceptionalism, because we are different to the animal kingdom. That doesn't mean we treat the animal kingdom badly in those ways. I'm, you know, That's a whole other debate. But as humans, we are above the animal kingdom because we are made in the image of God. It is that element that separates us. What does this mean? Very simply, that we are to resemble God in various ways. There are many things unique about humanity. See, only humans are a combination of the physical and the spiritual. We call this a body and a soul, or a spirit, whatever you want to call that, body and a soul. There are both physical and spiritual components of man. Man has a superior intellectual ability, and not just by a little bit, it's far superior. Okay. He has a mind capable of communing with God. That's crucial. 
that because that's what he was designed to do. We have advanced emotions, cognition, and we also have the freedom to choose. Libertarian free will, we call this. One more thing. Only humans have a moral component in their natures. Okay, a moral component, and this is the sense of responsibility towards God. We call it a conscience. It's where we get this awareness of good and evil. Now, I'm aware that in this world, it's a fallen world that we can go against our conscience, we can sear our conscience, but we do have that innate understanding of good and evil. You see, only humans have the capacity for a relationship with God, because that is what God intended for. Okay, and it's this spiritual element of man that gives us this understanding for knowing God and we are holding spiritual communion with him. We do this through prayer and through praise and through worship and through uh, the new birth in Christian theology. These are all things that separate man from the animals in Christian theology. You see, if you really want to know why man is special, it's simply because God became one. Jesus came in the likeness of men to redeem mankind to himself and therefore only humans will live forever with him. What does it say in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 5 to 8? The Apostle Paul writes this, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Much more could be said. But clearly, there's a huge difference between man and beast in the Christian understanding of these things. And even evolutionists acknowledge this. Let me read you a quote. It says, there is no other animal species that truly resembles our own. This is by an evolutionist. A physical and mental chasm separates us from all other living creatures. There is no other bipedal mammal. No other mammal controls and uses fire, writes books, travels in space, paints portraits or prays. We just know this by just looking around the world. Now, one of the other issues that we need to address as we talk about humanity, that we read from that quote in Genesis 1.27, where it talks about God creating in his image, it also says that he created them male and female in his image. Now, this is a, a very touchy topic at the moment, but I believe it needs to be addressed. It's foundational because it's in the text here in Genesis. A crucial element of human identity is your gender. And this is one area that's being uh, fundamentally um, attacked today, you could say, or doubted uh, more than many others. Now, listen, I'm not addressing people who are honestly struggling with, with gender dysphoria, and I understand that these things are real and they're, they're painful and we need to engage with them sensitively. But you must admit there is also an ideology that is being pushed from the top down. Okay, And this ideology really seeks to rebel against God's binary design. It's teaching that gender is merely something that people choose, that reality is not related to biology. And this is really the only area where biological science is not lifted up almost to godlike status because it doesn't fit the narrative. You see, and this is a real, you know, I don't want to get into these issues too much here, but I do raise it because it's an issue that confuses the subject of what does it mean to be human. It's a real recipe for confusion. You see, because when you go against God's natural design, you end up with confusion. We saw this in the last podcast. When your starting point is wrong about what humanity is, you end up in some of the things we looked at last time. And it's the same with the issue of gender. Let me just give you an example to show you the type of confusion that I'm talking about here. 
A recent example, um, BBC Radio 4, just at the end of last year, there was an interview with a child of 10 who self-identified as being a, a non-binary gender, so that, that means that they, they believe they're neither boy nor girl, uh, but both in some respects. Um, in reality, Leo, the child, was born a girl. Now, in the interview, uh, the interviewer had trouble even kind of using the right language. It's, it's, just, it's a minefield to navigate. Leo's mother, who was there with the interview, explained for us the situation. And she said this. Leo is definitely not a girl. Leo is more boy than girl. But he's not, like a lot of transgender people, a male mind who happened to be born in a female body. He's a non-binary mind who happened to be born in a female body. See that you see the confusion here. Now I don't mean to demean that there's obviously some confusion in this young young child's life, and it's tragic. But you see these terms and these sentences. You know, let me ask: Is this really a ten-year-old's personality organically forming, or are these off-the-peg gender identities that are being pushed down by the parents? Non-binary. These see these are terms that have just been googled from the internet, and, and in fact, the parents even admit this. You know, they didn't quite understand, so they went online and they found all the answers on Google. And this is now what they think. We can debate these issues back and forth. But I just wanted to highlight, you see, the Bible teaches that our gender is sacred. It's part of the created order. It is biological reality on a chromosomal level. And the social constructs of male and female have existed for all of human history. The reality is that as human beings, we are all embodied creatures, male and female, body and soul, possessing inherent worth, dignity and value, created equal in the image of God. And it is this truth that sets people free. And the truth is, we all have the privilege of being image bearers of God. You see, it is from this starting point that our search for human identity must begin. It is from this teaching that we are given the foundation for true equality of persons. It's an inherent dignity and value, and it's independent of achievement, colour, creed, or even a political affiliation. Mankind is given value by virtue of the fact of being created in the image of God. Psalm 8, verse 3 to 6 says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have crowned him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. You see, this is not a reason for pride. This is a reason for humble praise. You see, the real questions over human identity is not really about who we are. It is about who God is. That's the real question. If you want to answer this question rightly, you have to go to the creator. What does it mean to be human and what is the purpose of life? Now, when I first gave the, the, the kind of first version of this talk at a, a large conference in London, I had someone run up to me after the talk, and he was kind of slightly agitated. But it, it was a good question, actually. He ran up and he said, you, you never answered the question. What does it mean to be human? What is the meaning of life? And I kind of stopped in my tracks, and I thought, well, I'm sure I've kind of implicitly answered it by everything I've said. But he was looking for a, like a nice, neat summary and I didn't give one at that time. So I've come up with just a small summary here that really pulls everything together into a concise statement that we've looked at over these last four podcasts. So let me read this to you and then we'll close. This is, what does it mean to be human and what is the purpose of life? That mankind is a uniquely designed creation, 
distinct from the animal kingdom, fashioned with the privilege of being an image bearer of the Almighty God. And we were designed to live in a relationship with him through his son to love, glorify and enjoy him forever and to fulfill the works that he has prepared for us on this earth as he prepares us for an eternity with him. That's our answer from a Christian worldview. That's our answer to these questions. And if you haven't entered into this relationship through his son, then your life still hasn't really begun. But today is still the day of salvation. This is our end of our series on what does it mean to be humans and we'll take up some other topics as we go on. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please go to thomasfretwell.com.